Hello and welcome to the High Wide and Handsome podcast episode 11. First up, I just want to thank you all for listening and your engagement over the last week or two. It's been incredible. The listeners have been unbelievable. Ratings, reviews, retweets, all that's been amazing. So yeah, thanks again for all the retweets and all that other stuff. Uh, This week we talked Football Index, well Joel from Football Index Edge, handle at FI Analysis. Great conversation, Uh, thanks again to him for coming on. And as, uh, as is the norm these days, we finished up with Trading Bear, the risers and fallers, and his prospect player. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. If you do, let me know. And yeah, thanks for listening. Today we have Joel from Football Index Edge with us, whose handle is at FI Analysis. Joel, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to having a good chat. Oh, no problem. Thanks for taking some time out today. Over we're, we're recording this over the Wolves and Everton game, which is going to be it's, it's it could be a bit more exciting than Everton's previous performance. It was a bit droll, really, wasn't it? Like I don't know if you watched the nil. But they seemed to be a bit toothless going forward. Uh, Fortunately, I didn't catch that one. Yeah, yeah, lucky you. Um, let me see. We go straight into, I suppose, what is Football Index Edge and your, I suppose, your USP, if you want to maybe go off in a bit of monologue about it. Sell yeah. it to the people. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we started Football Index Edge uh, to, to, uh, just under two years ago. So uh, Match Day Dividend started uh, pretty much exactly two years ago from today. Um, and shortly afterwards, I think about, a month, a couple of months after, started Football Index Edge, which kind of at the time showed um, match day stats um, and some basic price graphs, and it's kind of evolved since then into now showing kind of just loads, loads of data, all the data basically you want for anything related to football index. Um, I think the the kind of USP of it at the moment uh, that people really like is the, the ability to be able to download all historic prices dating back for, uh, for the last two years and as well as the match day and media scores for the same period yeah that's very interesting to have i suppose because it's very important and i think early this season we've noticed that a lot of those historical high pb scores have been putting in big big scores even with the matrix changes and if you were on top of that and you knew the the data which i thankfully did um I bought a good few of those boys in about June. It's great. Um, a lot of the guys have rose significantly at the start of the season. And I suppose we get into it a bit later about um, different factors to affect price changes at the minute. But a huge thing I've seen that, that's affecting the market is a big PB score, even at half time. And if, if you're using data to predict things like that, it can be very profitable more than just using your God of the eye test. Um, yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of similarities with the period we're going through now with the new matrix and what the kind of the people who have been trading for a while saw when PB was introduced, um, where there was a research period before the season uh, and then some big spikes at the beginning of the season. But what we also saw uh, two years ago was that those players who do well consistently rose over the course of the season. So We'll see if that uh, also translates this year. Yeah, and then I suppose those PB players should probably start being dumped. What what month do you reckon that would start happening where they'll start to tail off? Would you be talking next, maybe March or April? Well, I think I think we saw a little bit last season around this time, 
there was start to be a move towards some media players because there's so many international breaks. But of course, this season it's different with there being match day dividends during the international break. Mm. And also, there's kind of a, uh, a different element is there aren't, I don't think there's as clear a media favourites this season as there have been in the last couple. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, I'd say March, April tends to be when those players start to drop off. Yeah, I think the thing with media as well is on October the 1st, it'll be opened up to everyone. So that could probably, I mean, I think they released some data saying that like 90% of the wins would have been from people in the top 200 anyway. But I I think people might notice it a bit more. It might turn people off when they're looking at the media for the day and you don't see Neymar or Pogba, you see... I don't know Tyrone Mings or I don't Luis Suarez. Do you yeah, know he, he's probably below a pound at the minute or in around that. I mean he wouldn't be in the top two hundred, but he loves a bit of media, especially if I don't know. He probably I don't know if he'd play at the next World Cup, but I don't know. Do you know any big tournament or things? It's very easy for him to go win in dividends, uh, media wise. I'd say or people like him, the controversial figures, Zlatan and all. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I mean, I think what happens in the first couple of weeks, if there are any really cheap players that manage to get high up in the the media rankings or at leasing, let's say, at lunchtime, A, we'll probably see big increases in them, but also we might see people start to pull money out of the classical media players. I think overall, it, sh- it should be vast majority of the, pe- the the current players who do well that will continue to win, but... What happens in those first two weeks, I think, could could uh, have a large bearing over what happens to the market for them. Yeah, I think what I've noticed at the start of the season is how volatile it seems to have been around match day based around PB scores and goals, I suppose IPDs, you could say. So I think it, you could find that with the NBA as well. Maybe it could be quite volatile if someone has a high PB or MB score one day in October. You could see a big swing in their price and then the inevitable dumping. And so, I don't know, it could just be a very volatile, dodgy period. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, for example, if, uh, I mean, we saw kind of how volatile Rooney was when he was linked to the Derby job. Yeah, it was if, massive. Yeah, if something similar to that were to happen, uh, you know, from October onwards, like, let's say Zlatan gets linked with a loan move back to Europe in January. I'm not saying that I think that will happen, but something like that, would we'll see some crazy swings. Because even there was a bit of controversy this week. I suppose it's something we should talk about. A lot of people were giving out the football index. Uh, they did you see their Zlatan, Zlatan tweet? No, I don't know if you would have caught it. They basically posted on their actual official account something saying like Zlatan's been linked to Man United. I, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was along the lines of will he come back and kind of rocket emojis or something. I don't know, but it was kind of promoting buying Zlatan to an extent, even though. To 90% of people, I think they kind of realize he would be somewhat of a dead asset. Um, now, that could be proven wrong. Like Nothing's impossible in football, but the chances of Zlatan coming back to a PB league or even picking up MB, well, he might pick up MB once or twice. You never know. Um, he's a polarizing character, but a lot of people on Twitter were going mental about them doing this and promoting players and getting involved and, I don't know, yeah, managing I mean- the market to an extent. There's always been controversy over whether FI when they mention certain players. Uh, uh, I think to a large extent, I think it's hard, it's hard to advertise a, a platform where you trade footballers without mentioning specific players. Um, yeah. With that specific tweet, I mean, I didn't see it, but 
Yeah, maybe that's a bit of a funny one because I, I hadn't seen any major rumours of Zlatan coming back to United, so it's a bit of a strange to tweet. I think it was probably just one little link somewhere. and Now, I think it was an official link, relatively official, I don't know, but uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he, he commented on it saying he can't see it happening or something. So there was a bit of news behind it, but I mean, it caused a spike in his price of what, how much? He went from like 25 pence up to like 36, and now he's sitting back at 31. I don't know. I mean, it could make no, sense and, for United to go after someone in. They're a bit light up front if they they can get a, like a MLS player to come in for three months just to provide some cover. So yeah, you never know. I mean, it wouldn't be insane, I suppose. Um, that's the the other thing would be we talked about it last week briefly with Dear McGillingham, who was on about how big a, a factor players media presence and their their marketability is and bringing Zlatan back if you could get him cheap enough based on his age or he kind of came back and on somewhat of a free I don't know what his contract situation is like at the minute I mean United wouldn't be averse to doing something like that to sell some shirts and some tickets um yeah I think that's a very know. good point um I think I think fans often don't think about players commercial value when they talk about transfer fees so for mm. example they'll laugh at Pogba being bought for 90 million when really even though the probably the move in footballing terms has worked out far worse than expected is still probably a very good signing he's he's done decent he's been decent on the football pitch and he would have done very well for them commercially and is because he's so good commercially his resale value is probably still above what they paid for him three three years ago was it mm, it was a while ago when I went two or three years ago yeah. Um, I think a big one of that is the Harry Maguire. I, I think what a lot of people don't realise, and I didn't realise, and I still do even with it, the commercial value built in, I still think $80 million for Harry Maguire is insanity, but that's the way football's gone. And I get that he's English and all, but it's not exactly like he's... I don't know. Now, this is going to... I don't know how to phrase this, so I'll just try it. It's not like he's particularly cool or yeah. marketable or like... Do you know like Pogba does his little dances with Stormzy and stuff to announce his arrival? Like... I don't know. I like Harry Maguire. I think he's a great guy or whatever, but like, I don't see the marketability aspect there to warrant 80 million. And I think the Napoli manager said yesterday or the day before that football price have gone crazy to get a player of Harry Maguire's caliber. He'd pay like 30 or 40 million. And based off that, he'd value Koulibaly. Based off Harry Maguire's transfer fee, that must mean that Koulibaly's worth like 240 million or something is what he said. Yeah. Um, It's a bit cheeky, like, but I kind of get where he's coming from. Yeah, from a footballing's perspective, they also different players are worth different amounts commercially to other teams. So, for example, to United, Maguire, there'll be a lot of fans that will want that will get him on the back of the shirt just because he's English or whatever. Uh, whereas maybe he's worth more commercially to United than he is. Like, for example, if he went to Napoli, I can't imagine him being much of a commercial success there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The nationality is huge with it, like. Pogba and PSG, you could see being just a, an absolute killer, you know, commercially for the team. And, you know, maybe if he settled down there a bit better and the fans got behind him because he was the same nationality and they loved him, you know, maybe he would play better football. It could be a good fit. But um, I don't know if, I don't think that's where he'd be favoured to go to anyway. But yeah. uh, I know what you're getting at with the commercial, commercial ability, commerciality. Think, yeah. what, what's think, the word? Yeah. Uh... Is there a word? <laughs> anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make myself look stupid. 
Um, is there anything else you want to add on that before we go through a few other current events? Um, no, I think, I think that, that covers that. We'll move on. Nice little tangent. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, just to suppose we mentioned PSG, you may as well touch on this. Neymar seems set to stay for now anyway. Um, what's your take on that index-wise and real-world-wise? Have you any thoughts on it? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of different facts. I think it's definitely good, for, better for him index-wise than if he were to have moved this summer for, for two reasons. One, I think PSG is probably the easiest rise in, uh, ride in terms of match day dividends. Um, is a high possession team. They obviously dominate the league. And and he tends to play ninety minutes there, so I, th- I think I think I think in terms of that, he's got everything covered. But I think the main thing is the fact that it means that probably next summer we're going to have a whole another summer of media speculation about him and all the additional dividends that that raises. Yeah, and you would like, it'll definitely be resurfaced in January. You would imagine, even yeah. if it's for a day or two and then squanched, it'll it'll definitely be. Yeah, the media will be all over that. Um, but yeah, they call it the Farmers League. I think it's a brilliant league to watch, and I think there's a lot of exciting talent in it. Um, but there's no doubt that Neymar there is likely to hit a 400 score if he actually is playing. <laughs> like he's the scores he put in. There's a reason he's the king of the index. The, the scores he was putting in PB wise over the last year or two are just insane. And why would that change really? And you can't see them sticking him on the bench. He's worth too much. I know there's been a bit of a tiff, but like. It's kind of like the the Tottenham situation with Christian Eriksen. They cannot afford to have that player on the bench, even though he's he's made it very clear he wants to leave. It's I feel that PSG will be somewhat in the same boat, especially with the injuries to Mbappe and was it Cavani get injured? It was. Yeah, yeah. He has to play. Yeah, he has to play. I think it's also it's even greater than the Eriksen situation because assuming he doesn't go in the next couple of days. Oh, the, the is the is there another day or two of the window now? The well, I'd say there is, yeah. Yeah, I'll have a look here quickly while you you go off on a tangent. Yeah, so uh, assuming he stays, I mean, he, he's leaving on on a free next summer or fr- on the cheap in January. So the cost of keeping him on the bench is I don't know, maybe twenty million for January or nothing at all for the end of the season. Yeah, they lose on, on the playing front. But for Neymar, if he if he were to stay on the bench for a season, it could, you know, it could wipe 50, 80 million off their off off his transfer value and and also probably another fifty million in wages that would be wasted. Yeah, I agree with that. They, the Spanish window is open for another day. That's the only place you can really see him going. Yeah. Um it closes tomorrow. I, I if he's if it's only come out yesterday that he's set to stay I'd say the chances of a last ditch move happening are quite slim. Obviously, you never know, but yeah, the only thing you would say is generally players with a year left on the contract when there's only really one club who are likely to go after them, which I think Real Madrid seem to be that club. They tend to wait till till deadline day because it puts the selling club in a very weak position. But yeah, it does look like he's going to stay, but you never know. I think with the, the commercial, we keep mentioning the commercial aspect, but like with what is entailed with Neymar and agents' fees and clauses and image rights and all this, I think unless they've all those ducks in a row and they're just waiting to agree a fee and they're, uh, 
I don't see you putting that together in a day or two, but unless they have it all lined up and they're just kind of putting a bit of pressure on Real Madrid or Barcelona, I don't know. Look, time will tell. That's enough on Neymar, I'd say. Um, what do you, do you have any thoughts uh, on Mane's reaction yesterday and about Salah not passing to him? We talked just briefly about it before we hit record. And I was sort of saying, I haven't seen Mane's reaction. You have. But I've seen Salah not passing. And you haven't. So we've kind of both seen the opposite sides of it. In my opinion, Salah definitely should not should have passed. However, the other side of it is when you're 3-0 up against Burnley like and the game's getting on. What's the game getting on, though? That's the part I don't actually know, so I'm talking out of my arse. What I'm saying is, if, if it, I don't actually know what point in the game it was. I'm talking out of my arse. Um, <laughs> but it depends very much for me what time in the game it was. If it was before they scored their first goal, he should pass every time. If they hadn't scored a second, the wee insurance goal, he should have passed every time. But if you're 3-0 up away at Burnley, do you know, he should have passed, but you can't really get that annoyed at him for having a pop. Well, I think but maybe, I don't know, what were you going to say? I mean, I think when someone reacts like that, it's generally not because of a one-off event. I think it's it's probably he's probably had that he's been boiled he's probably been uh, building up that anger or frustration over a period of time. And uh, like, like you say, if it was such an obvious uh, passing opportunity, that's probably where it's just all the frustrations boiled over. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, it was a clear cut. He should have passed it. Like. Um, but you know the, the pace of the game these days, whether he would have seen it in time, you'd never know. Um, but yeah, I think what you're saying there, the build-up and the actual reaction, you don't react like that to your mate not passing to you once, but I suppose for Mane it might be a bit more than that. It could be the being in Salah's shadow, even though maybe he sees himself as somewhat of an equal as a player. Maybe it's the constant not getting passed to by him. Do you know, yeah. He obviously sees more than we do at training and stuff as well. Yeah, and I think also Manny's quite a selfless player, would you say? So yeah. he kind of probably expects the same that he from others, and I don't know. A lot will be made of it, but that should be what Liverpool won. Did they win three 0 Yeah, three 0 That's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and Klopp's playing it down and stuff. I don't know if there's much there, but I suppose people were a bit. I wouldn't say they were surprised, but people were wouldn't would not have been surprised had Mane or Salah left this summer. And stuff like this is only going to fuel transfer talk for one of them leaving maybe at the end of this year a bit more. But look, we'll see how that plays out. What are your early thoughts on VAR? Um, generally speaking, I, 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 I'm happy there is VAR. Uh, I think it's just... Uh, but at the same time... I. I don't know because I, I was at uh, a game recently, and or even during the World Cup or whatever, when your team scores, it stops me celebrating because I'm like, wait, it could come back to VAR. And then once I realise it's a goal, it's kind of the moments passed. Yeah, so it, it does become a bit of an anticlimax when goals go through. I think, but at the same time, I prefer it because last season some of the decisions, and you're just, I mean. I mean, any season, and you're just you're always blaming it on stuff. I, I'm I'm just happy that it's going to reduce it. I'm sure it's going to improve a lot over time. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm in favour of there being VAR generally. Yeah, I would be too. I think people bitch about not getting decisions right for so long, and then whenever decisions are right, they're bitching about them being too right. I think the the fact of the matter is, 
it's better for football having the correct decision. We're in a bit of a settling in, betting in period at the minute. But once they work out how to do it more effectively and efficiently and expedite the whole process, I suppose, at that stage, it should be a gift. I mean, if they can make the decision much quicker and more effectively, I'm kind of going over myself here, it'll be golden. I think the issue is that kind of delay and that taking away from the spectator's side of it. Because um, I can like picture yourself, like you, you've, been, you've been in that position, but for me... I'm try, I try to picture myself in the crowd and your team scores and you go crazy. And then there's that like little moment which kind of takes away from, oh shit, wait there. Do you know you're kind of looking at the linesman? But then now it's kind of like you're waiting for VAR. And then they go and review it and it's a bit of suspense. And then it's a bit of, it's more relief than jubilation whenever they, they do give the goal in the end or something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Um, but yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, a lot's been made out of a Grealish situation yesterday. Um, and I actually think that's probably quite a strong argument for VAR because had there not been VAR, they they would have it would have just been awarded a dive yellow card as as it ended up being with VAR. What the ref should have done is let it play on, and then he would have reviewed it and probably given the goal. So whilst we got the wrong decision yesterday, I think referees will learn in similar situations as the season progresses. To let mm. play on, let let see the play out before making a decision, so that they can come back and review it. And we just saw kind of, we didn't see the decision we saw yesterday because of VAR. We saw it because of the ref. And in future, as refs improve and get used to VAR, th- those are the sort of mistakes that will be eradicated. Something I wonder, like, and I've thrown out there in the past, is would a system kind of like tennis be good where? Do you know, you have like three challenges or whatever. I don't even know if tennis do that anymore. In my head, they do. I don't watch tennis. Um, do you know where it's like you can call in the Hawkeye or whatever three times? And yeah. if you wanted to do that for a throw-in, if you want to do it for a dive, if you want to do it for a goal, do it. I don't know if three's the right number, if one's better or if ten's better. But would it stop the constant reviews of mundane shit? I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know that's, if that's the right that's... way, but it's an option. Yeah, I mean, that's what they do in both cricket and tennis. Um, I don't know, maybe. Or maybe have one. Or, I mean, at the moment, it's, it's meant to be only use VAR for big stuff. Maybe it can be one decision for more of the mundane stuff, you know? if Because, if, mm. uh, I, mean, I mean, playing football, you always know when... I mean, every game it happens that, you know a throw-in or a corner will be wrongly awarded. If you're 100% sure and you're prepared to risk your one review on it, maybe it'd be interesting. But I think I think they've probably got it right at the moment, what they're using. But as technology improves, I, th- I think they can become a lot more efficient with how they do it. Yeah, definitely agree. I'm sure they'll get better with us. Um, we move on to today's events. Now, people, this is yesterday events to you listening. Uh, you're going to the North Dar- North London Derby today and you support Arsenal. Would, would you like to give us... We'll talk a bit about it first, then we can make you give a prediction so that you can look like a fool tomorrow. But <laughs> what um, what do you make of Arsenal's defensive frailties? Like, I mean, they're a bit all over the gaff at the back. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've summed it up there. <laughs> um... Do you think there's anything... Is there anything you would change or is there anything you think they could have done better in the transfer window or do you just think, look, it is what it is? trying to outscore teams. I, I like what they did in the window in terms of 
Tierney. I didn't think left back was going to be a priority for Arsenal um, in the window because, I mean, we were all told it was a very small budget and there were so many other issues to deal with. But I think also with Bellerin coming back, potentially, I mean, we'll see what happens once they come back, but potentially that could sort the fullback issues we've had for a long time. Yeah. Coming on to centre-backs, I mean, Saliba looks good. I mean, I haven't seen him play that much, but obviously we've we've been prepared to wait a year for the, for the proper solution there it, it, if he does turn out to be the player that we hope. And Davaluid just is just there to paper over the cracks till then. I mean, it looks like we'd rather have had Koscielny there for another year, but seeing as we Koscielny forced his way out, David Luiz is just there basically as a sticking plaster for a year or two, and we'll see how he goes. He's one of those boys who has like moments of brilliance and moments of chaos. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's never just a consistent performance, is it? It's always. He let Salah go past him and score, and then he score a free kick from fifty yards or something ridiculous. He's just uh, he's an entertaining player to watch, I suppose. That, yeah. That's one positive from the neutral. I think the way we, yeah, I think the way we're going to play, we might actually need someone like him because, I mean, Emery seems to be playing insistent on playing Guendouzi as the person who's kind of seems to be coming to the defense to play the ball out and. I think he can struggle sometimes when he's a bit isolated there. So having a centre back like Louise who can play it, um, play it out, it, that's one positive. Another positive is the fact that he likes to hit long through balls and with the pace of like Aubameyang and Pepe, it could be exciting to watch uh, the odd through ball from, from defence. But yeah, he's he's obviously adds adds a different liability, but. Oh, the centre backs we have anyway were all liabilities. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, much just there. We'll we'll move across to another part of London and talk very quickly about Chelsea's recent. I know they only got the draw yesterday, um, but their recent successes, I suppose, from their youth team. Whenever they didn't sign anyone, Tammy Abraham's kind of shown the last couple of weeks that maybe he can do it at the top level. And Mason Mount's just had an absolute stormer. Um. What do you what do you think of them? Do you think they'll go all the way and maybe keep it up, or do you think it's a phase? Honestly, I have no idea. I mean, Chelsea have had a great youth system for a long time in terms of in terms of the play, um, in terms of the, the the quality of they always seem to win the youth FA Cup and and so on, and then they've failed to when they've had these talented players like I don't know Lukaku, De Bruyne is probably the best example. Salah, although he didn't come through the youth system, but They've had young players who haven't had the opportunities and they've come back to regret them. And it kind of feels like they've gone full circle now and being like, right, we need to play young players. I'm not sure this current crop are as talented as those players, though. So I don't think it's going to work. Um, we'll see. Uh, definitely one or two of them could, could end up being top players. But personally, I think they're they're playing youth for youth's sake now rather than... For, rather than playing the players that should have forced the issue, like De Bruyne. Yeah, De Bruyne, he had a spell there. He's had a fucking unbelievable start to the season. And yeah. it's not really a surprise, is it? Um, I think every, like if you had actually looked at data and thought of it, and anytime he's had an extended run on the team, he's just been unbelievable. He was riddled with injuries last season, and I think that kind of made him fall off people's radars. And yeah. He's probably one of my biggest regrets from a football index perspective. I 
I posted, I think, on some chat um, about three or four months ago when he was sitting at like 240-ish. And I was sort of saying, De Bruyne at 240, I really like him. I think his stats are unreal. I think he's a class player. Man City are doing unreal. He's coming back. I think he's brilliant. Am I being an idiot here? And a few people kind of came back and convinced me maybe it was a bit stupid. I should wait and see or something. And then that, like two days later, he spiked by like 10p. Some some guy came in and threw a few grand into him and I thought I'd missed the boat at like 250. And sure now he's unbelievable PB scores, star man. And he's sitting at 423. That's probably the most sickening one I've had. Yeah. I, the- I think I only bought a few of them, but I regret not buying more. I've actually... Uh, so I... With players like that, I feel like the reason that made me get on is if you see someone going up a few p consistently every day, and whilst he's not playing, they're generally players with a lot of momentum and they continue they they all continue to go. Yeah. Um. So that that's kind of why I bought. I, th- I think I bought them around the two forty mark. Um. Because uh, I I'd noticed people were starting to think about him. I also saw a few tweets about him. And you can see that he's kind of gathering momentum. Once the season starts and he got a really good score, I think I sold him on one of them, sold him way too early. But I think by then it's kind of priced in that he's going to get good scores and you never know what's going to happen from there. But yeah, yeah, he looks poised for a good season. Something that keeps... It's happened two weeks in a row now. I'm starting to get a bit pissed off with it. The I don't know if you have any knowledge you can spread or give me here on this. I, I don't quite understand why it's happening. Christian Pulisic and Mason Mount, two weeks in a row they've played, right? And two weeks in a row, their price has plummeted somewhat after the game. Now, I get the whole build-up to the game. They had an easy fixture. People were maybe buying them, thinking they'd set the world alight or whatever. But it's two weeks in a row. They've been like really, really significant dips the day after the game. And I'm just kind of sick of having them there in my portfolio, ripping it down by like, I mean, they've dropped... You're talking somewhere between 5 and 10% or more in the last 24 hours, which I think is insane based off one performance. It's just such a volatile market at the minute. I mean, it's kind of a phenomenon that happened in the whole of last season, I think the season before as well. Kind of, It's kind of, kind of the Sunday nights players tend to fall and Mondays don't tend to be great either. Um, I think when you look at some of the increases that happened during the match days, you could understand it more because... I don't know, let, let, let's say there's a pound player and he scores one, goes up to a pound ten, and he scores an early goal. If he then scores a second goal, he might go up to one pound thirty. So more people buy at one pound ten, and then when that second goal doesn't come that if that second goal doesn't come, they then dip back down to a pound a pound five or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of as the opportunity for massive increases are there, which I think if, if Mount were to score, have scored two, for example, on a match day, he would increase so much. If they fail to do it, a pullback is likely. Yeah, I get like the kind of thing with markets in terms of like whenever there's a bit of a boom, there needs to be a correction to get it back on to where the kind of level it should be and people are going to peel profits off. It just seems to be a bit of a regular... Well, it's only two weeks. I think what's surprising me, right, I'm, I'm kind of going off on one here... It's just the volatility in the markets this, I don't know, this early in the season. And maybe this is something that's happened in other previous seasons at the start, but I've only been here, I came in midway through last season, so maybe I just didn't experience it. But it's a bit of a, 
it's a bit of a head wreck for me. Like my portfolio was down over the last 24 hours for the first time in a while because a bunch of players who are really promising, who have held, who I'm still up on, don't get me wrong, have just dropped massively in the, after the game. I think I need to start selling people much more often on the actual game day when they do something good and then buy them back in on the Monday or something because I know that's a technique people use, but would you do anything like that yourself or what would your, I suppose that's something we haven't got into. What would be your trading style? Oh. Per se, do you do you have a distinct trading style, or do you kind of do a bit of everything, or just wing it? It's very mixed. I don't watch too many games live, so I'm unable to kind of trade in play too much. Um, momentum, I've kind of mentioned already. That's kind of my favourite one because I think it's the easiest to do when you spot the right opportunities. So it's just about setting yourself up with the right. Um, it's about being able to find them. So whether it's through looking at using a data provider or the, I quite like the seven day graphs on football index. They don't provide much context on what happened during those days, which is why I use my own graphs. But um, just if you see those players increasing during non-match days, those tend to be the ones I like. Yeah, they're that. And uh, I'm trying at the moment, I'm looking for younger players just because I've been on it for two years. There's such a big kind of, case study of data now and they just tend to be the ones that increase the most yeah um and i, I don't see that changing anytime soon just buying the youngsters and waiting for that inevitable rise the thing i find with the youngsters is the patience like i've just went and bought last week my my i kind of went through buying pbs people then cashing in the profits in them and then they were like 30 40 up I kept a few of them that i really liked and then I piled that money into like premium asset, big people like, which worked out very well for me. I have to say Sancho and Madison, maybe a month and a half, two months ago and Sterling. I would love Sterling. Um, a few other ones like that. And then now I'm starting to pile a bit more into young youngsters. And based on talking to Ronan Murphy on a podcast there that was out a few days ago, he's a big Bundesliga guy and he has very high hopes for players from Leipzig and I just kind of went with it. I looked into them a bit more and learned do you know can you hear the ice cream van yeah Jesus Christ every fucking week I'm recording this podcast I was recording with Trading Bear like two weeks ago and this bastard Luigi's ice is it's raining outside <laughs> it's fucking raining outside and Luigi comes rolling around blasting his tune and I'm trying to find a quiet room anyway I digress what was I even saying there? Yeah, I've been looking into like Leipzig youngsters and I bought a load of them. And I think the thing there is patience because I love holding players and I love watching them on the, the match day rankings and all this. And sure, four of the boys that I bought were sitting on the bench at the weekend for Leipzig. They made three substitutions. None of them came on. Oh. And I was like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but like old me might have just sold them. But new me's thinking like, Give it a few weeks. Champions League starts. Rotation will happen. One of these boys will come on. Someone will score a goal and their price will maybe not double, but there'll be an easy 30 or 40% there. Yeah, I think those are tend to be the best youngsters to get because whilst they're still flirting with the first team, they, they don't tend to go down. And then there's kind of only... Well, it's not true to say there's only upside, but if they can then transition, if they get a sub appearance, they might go up a couple of pence. If they get a goal, they might go up a lot. And um, while whilst they're on the fringes of the team, they tend. I think that's probably the safest period to invest in them. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose that's that's the thing. It's not the only ways up. There's always injuries. There's always other yeah, things. But it's positive to know that whenever there's trading bears uh, alluded to it when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, those milestones are still there for these boys. They still have that. Well, maybe they, they've probably had their first appearances, but you know that big effective appearance where someone gets two goals. Yeah. Do you know they're going to go crazy then, uh, their price, or whenever they get a high PB score, or if they get an international call-up or do well in the Champions League, there's all these milestones there. Um, But look, we'll move on. What what do you think about the spreads? Um, You were saying to me before we recorded, there's a bit of, a few people have kind of been mentioning the spreads maybe being a bit larger since the start of the season, do you think? Have you done any research into that or thought about it much? Yes, so I had a quick. Yeah, so I've seen a few people on the timeline talk about it. So I had a quick look at the data, and um, so the, the two kind of time periods I looked at looked to the spreads at the start of the month, the start of August, and the end of August. Um, so for, for the whole market, I looked at first. Um, so at the start of August, the average spread was eight point three one percent, and the end of August was eight point six three percent. So it's Increased a bit, 0.3% per player. Um, nothing too massive, but but yeah, so it, it is true to say that there has been an increase. But what I've also seen a lot of the tweets, uh, particularly directed at 50p players or 50p players that are 50p or less. And there, the average spread at the start of August was 9.81% compared to 10. 2.8% at the end of August. So there has been a larger increase there. Uh, maybe the average increase hasn't been as big as some people have thought, but yeah, there has been a bit for one. You see, I would probably, now this is, I've, I haven't a notion about all this, um, to be honest with you, but just spitballing. Um, would that be anything to do with maybe the volatility in the, the interim, like what's happened in the meantime, because obviously now players are playing again, there's injuries, so there's big drops, um, there's hat-tricks, so there's big rises. It, would any of that have, would that not affect the spreads a little bit? Maybe to, enough to account for that half a percent or however much it is? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, if you think about the start of August, the only real volatility is if transfers fall through or go through to teams you don't want to and that that will affect a small percentage of players on the platform now the majority of players on the platform are playing every week and there's there's constant reasons that you might want to instant sell so football index don't want people to be instant selling all the time they don't don't want all the players to go so they've obviously adjusted slightly to protect themselves in that regard Mm. yeah um well, look, thanks for looking into that because I have seen a few people mention it and I haven't a notion about it. But yeah, it's, I suppose based on the, the small change, it, it could be fair to say that maybe they haven't changed their algorithms per se. They, it's it's more just to do with the actual volatility in the market. Actually, yeah, Maybe. I've just pulled up. Um, I did some, someone asked me to look into spreads back in the, towards the end of February. So it's a bit of a while ago. But the average sped spread back then was four point one five percent. So they've pretty much doubled since then, which I didn't really realise. So I think you know, it'd be quite interesting for people to know. That is quite um, significant. And also, if you look at the median spread, that's more than doubled. Yeah, people who've said that they've been creeping up on the timeline 
haven't imagined it. The data is there to back it up. That's mental doubling the spreads. Do you know, subconsciously, I haven't been one of these people who really paid too much attention to it, but I was. it was only like yesterday, um, just before the Neymar news kind of broke, whatever, I was thinking of maybe getting a few, and I was thinking, where can I shave some money off to, to get some in my portfolio? And I was looking through people, and everyone seems to have, like, it seemed to be very hard to ship people without losing, I should mention, about 8% or something like this. It was. It just seemed... I ended up listing a couple of people, but I didn't instant sell anyone because the spreads were just fucking huge. But I never really thought of it. But I suppose back when I first started, it was much... I could justify selling people a lot more and moving my money around. Whereas now it seems like you're taking such a hit, like a really significant hit to move anyone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I... Yeah, I sold one of my heavier holdings today. I, I uh, yeah, not today, this weekend, and he was, yeah, it was, it was quite a big hit. I think I took uh, probably, you know, probably seven percent of his value. I think I, I think it was justified, but yeah, um, yeah, I think I think the important, I think the lesson that people need to take away with if with with the spreads where they are at the moment, especially on those really expensive players is when you do sell, you've got to try and sell on your terms. You don't want to be selling, you know, when there's been an injury and all those, all those, uh, and the spread's been increased vastly. You've got to try and leak it, leak it to market is the expression traders like to use on football index. Yeah. Uh, at a time where, uh, before then, you know, while whilst there's still demand coming through. Yeah, like a big example there is Kylian Mbappé. Now that Neymar is probably going to be staying on top of the injury, he's not. He has plummeted. There's no point in buttering it up. He was up near seven quid, and he's down by well, plummeted's maybe a bit strong. He's down about forty p. Um, I suppose that's maybe not plummeting when you look at percentage wise, but yeah. I'm getting a bit too. Especially when you probably consider he probably increased a pound because it looked like Neymar was leaving, so he's yeah, probably not exactly. done too badly. That's exactly it's that it's that little correction coming in there. His spread at the minute now is he's six fifty three to buy, six oh four to sell. That's fifty p. Like that's that's pretty significant, isn't it? But then I suppose it's all percentage wise, isn't it? Yeah, it's about eight point two seven percent. Yeah, like I mean, that's pretty standard then. Bottom line is, I think the most interesting thing is that they've doubled since earlier this year. Um, another thing to talk about is early lessons from the start of the new match day matrix. Is there anything you'd like to talk about there? Yeah, so uh, one thing I've had a look at is how how it's affected certain positions. So remember when it was announced, quite a lot of the goalkeepers started flying. They'll be more into play. I don't think a goalkeeper has won one won a match day dividend this season yet. I'm not sure. I don't know if you were saying. I don't know if you know the answer. I think I seen. I remember one goalkeeper having a big score recently, like up around. 180, 190, 200, something like that. Yeah. I remember being surprised. I think I had a defender playing that day. But I don't know if he held out and actually won the dividend or not. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm pretty sure none have won yet. Um, and looking at the average as well, they lag still significantly behind defenders. They, I'm sure over the course of the season, they'll win two or three on single match days or maybe there'll be one freak score. But yeah, in terms of, Obviously, they've still got like those clean sheet in-play dividends, but in terms of match day dividends, seems nothing going there, really. Yeah. 
defenders was an interesting one. So when I when I first did research, when I knew that the matrix was changing, I thought full backs would do better than they have done so far this season. Must stress, it's still a very small sample size, but um, so far this season, centre backs have had a higher average score and have won more dividends than full backs, which I wasn't expecting. I don't think anyone would have been. But yeah. Um, Mid midfielders again. People were talking about maybe attacking midfielders doing better versus centre mids this season. We haven't seen that. We've seen centre mids have a higher average and have won more dividends than attacking attacking mids. Uh, another thing we've seen: whilst centre forwards continue to have a lower average score than second strikers in when it comes to forwards, they've had much higher dividends this season. Again, it's a small sample size, but. Maybe we have seen uh, a group that a lot of people had with the previous matrix was that those centre forwards weren't rewarded enough, but they they seem they seem to have won uh, much higher dividends this season so far. Yeah, a lot of people seem to have been very excited about attacking wing backs, and I don't know if it's maybe the less attacking fullback that is dragging down the dividend wins for the fullbacks, but I'd be surprised to have known that the centre-backs have averaged higher. That was probably the most surprising thing you said to me. Yeah, I mean, it's um, not by much, but... Yeah. I suppose, and again, it's a small sample size, but yeah. we've got three or four weeks of matches in the back pocket now, multiple matches a day. I mean, it's it's small, but it's not, like, so small that the data wouldn't be somewhat accurate, I yeah. suppose you could say. Yeah. This, yeah. Um, I, also, I also thought attacking mids might have done better, but maybe it's those deep-line playmakers that are passing the ball about a bit more and racking up those pass points. Is there anything else? I think something that I don't know is like, I think everyone's noticed now is that like 250 plus is the new 200. Yeah, definitely. Like monster scores have been put in. I mean, 247 from De Bruyne yesterday, one star man. And that was considered as a bit, I'll put it to you this way. I put out in my Twitter a little competition thing because I've had a thousand followers or whatever. And I better just plug on myself and trying to spread the word a bit more. Sort of said, look, guess the correct uh, winning star man score today and I'll give you 10 times the value of the player. <laughs> Thank God no one guessed 247 because that would have been, what, near 50 quid. But um, <laughs> yeah, the high, the lowest guess was like 258 of, what, like 90 people or something. Like that just shows like how low a scoring day yesterday was compared to people's expectations. No one expected it to be below 258 everyone was higher than that everyone was expecting a 300 score yeah whilst whilst i think people have for those for that prediction seen um whilst whilst people have factored in the new matrix for their, for their predictions for your twitter poll i've noticed and quite successfully your followers have grown quite a bit over the last couple of days yeah and <laughs> um, i don't think the market is truly adjusted yet i think still people see an early score of around 200 and the market's overreacting I think at the moment to that players are increasing a lot I think I, I don't think whilst we've seen uh Brozovic and Asini I think are the two players that have scored over 300 so far mm. I think Sabitzer scored 299 we still haven't seen that massive score which I think we will see over the next few weeks that's really gonna make the market sit up and take notice the likes of Neymar if he starts playing you Maybe could Neymar. see him hitting 400 or Messi coming in and hitting something ludicrous. Yeah. But yeah, look, time will tell. And uh, I suppose my, my followers are due a bit of a correction, talking about markets and corrections. <laughs> I've had a bit of an influx in the last few days. Well, to be fair, I've, I've maybe only gained like 50 or 60 from this little fucking shameless plug of myself. But 
yeah, I'd say a few of them will unfollow me and block me in the next few days when they don't win. <laughs> but um, what the last thing I suppose we just talk about is factors that are driving price changes recently. Um, do you have anything you'd want to say on that before I maybe go into it a bit as well? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done any research about specifically about recently, but I, I've done quite a few of these things uh, over the last couple of years, and the same factors always crop up as statistically significant. And I think I think it's very important uh, for traders to know. I think they're all kind of common sense things that people would think of, but they maybe don't take them into account enough when they're actually trading. So. The first thing, again, like pretty obvious, the age is massively statistically significant in terms of. So well, I'm, I'm talking about ROI. So that's the price change they have over any given t- period, and also the dividends they win. So a lot of people sometimes say, "Oh, look, there's value in the older players. They've got very high dividend yields." But if their price isn't moving as much as the rest of the market, or they're even depreciating whilst they're earning those dividends. Uh, the opportunity cost of holding those players is sometimes massive. So if we look at yeah, pretty much any period I've looked at, the, the, there's been massive correlation. And you could pick pretty much any 17-year-old, 18-year-old for any period, and they've tended to increase. The only time I can really think of a youngster going down a lot was when uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi got injured, but... He seems to have bounced back before he's played already. Yeah, he's back to about where he was. Yeah. Whereas on the fl- yeah, whereas on the flip side, it's very difficult to find an example of an older player that's increased by a lot um, over the last couple of years. Well, you see, right here, here would be my argument to that because I have been somewhat not not majorly, but I've before I've kind of said about how I see value in the likes of. Who did I say in one of these podcasts recently? Aaron Guiz, I think. Um, I don't actually know how he's done because I've since exited. Well, he's not up much, but I suppose since I mentioned him, he's up, what, five? He's probably up about 10%. But in terms, I suppose there's anomalies and maybe what you're getting at is they're they're less likely. I suppose the one I have in my head is Alejandro Gomez, who's like 30 or 31 or something. Yeah. Um, he's actually I mean, I'm up, my biggest hold. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm up well I'm I'm up seventy five percent on him in the last two or three months. Yeah. Who else is old? Like it depends what constitutes old. I think once they hit three zero, that's kinda the the date in my head that they become old on the index. But Alberto Luis Alberto, what age is he? He's probably in like twenty seven, twenty eight, is he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, I know what I know what you're saying. I'm just thinking there there definitely are those few anomalies that do represent yeah. some sort yeah, of yeah. There's definitely exceptions. Value, I suppose. Some people hate when you say value, but you know what I mean. Yeah, there's definitely exceptions. Um, yeah, I guess you could you could find the odd one, but you know, let's say you're you're building a portfolio of fifty players, or, or ten players, or twenty players, whatever. Generally, if if if, if you want to track. Track it if you were to buy ten players that are eighteen versus ten players of who are thirty. I, th- I think you're you're far more likely to be more profitable if you go for the younger players. Yeah, statistically wise, you probably are much more likely. Yeah, I've got so on edge. I think there's there's two years over two years now of price data that you can download and you can test it for yourself. And you like you take pretty much any period of time and track it with all the players in the, in in that group who have been in the index during that time, and you'll find the same result. Uh, Similarly, I think if you look at dividends, 
a lot of people often argue between whether you should target uh, dividend winners or players who are going to increase in terms of capital appreciation. Seems to be the probably the most frequent debate I see on Twitter. And there's very strong, there's actually very strong correlation between those that win dividends and those that increase in price. <laughs> so generally, if you can find those dividend winners, they're the ones that are increasing most in price. So it's a bit of a silly argument. Yeah, my kind of view on that, I think like even whenever you're supposedly not chasing dividends, you're chasing the thought of potential future dividends. So like the likes of Mason Greenwood, who's given fuck all back in terms of dividends, the reason he's worth worth something is the fact that people believe that in the future he will win dividends because he will go on to represent England and he'll win media and he'll win PB scores and he'll be Manchester United's win striker and all. That's why he's highly priced. So if people say they ignore dividends, they're full of shite because they're what... I don't want to go off the rant. This is the most said fucking thing in Football Index and Football Index podcasting. Dividends underpin the value in the market and all that stuff. Without them, it would be a Ponzi scheme because it's true and like... I hate pointless arguments. Do you know what I mean? Um, I get what people are saying. You don't have to chase dividends. In your head, you're not. But realistically, the reason the player that's young, that you're buying, is rising is because there's the potential that he'll win them in the future because otherwise you're just buying a fucking name on a screen, which makes no sense to anyone. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people seem to think Jaden Sancho is going to be the, the king because I think any player that's kind of flirted with dividends so far who who have been young, they, they really fly. Um, although Jaden Sadger hasn't won much to, to underpin that price, people seem to have this belief that you know this year with the Euros, he's going to start start picking up media buzz, and he's already shown that he can hit uh, high match day scores as well. Yeah, he's had a few big enough scores, and he was unlucky to miss out a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it could have even been the first week back in the Bundesliga. He he scored two and got an assist or something in their 5-1 win or something like that. I think he narrowly missed out to someone who was playing later in the day. Is there anything else you'd like to get into or have a little chat about before we, we wrap it up? Uh, the other one, yeah, just the, uh, one more factor in terms of um, factors that drive price changes. So I had a look at what their match day average score was versus the percentage ROI they've they've had over over a period of about a year. And typically, for every one you add to their match day score average, it's a it's approximately another one percent ROI expected ROI they've had. So, for example, if they've had a match day score of about a hundred, their are their average ROI has been about a hundred, and, and and so on. A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that was over a that was over twenty eighteen, but I think twenty nineteen we're likely to see something similar as well. Jesus. That's outrageous, Ryzen. So are you telling me if someone's match day score average is 150 on average based on the data, they should have risen by 150% in the last year? I mean, so this was, Roughly. Twi- this was 2018. So, for example, uh, I'm trying to look at similar examples, but t- Tony Cruz had an average of 135 in 2018, and his percentage ROI was 221%. Uh Similar for Bruno Fernandez, although there's quite a small sample size for match day scores for him. Uh, Kimmich had an average score of 131, had a percentage ROI for 2018 of 426%. Fucking hell. It's insane. And Neymar, he's the only one who's had over 100. Uh, yeah, he's the only one who had over a 
average score of 150 in 2018, and his was 172% ROI when you consider price change and dividends. You see, I, what I wonder is, is like when I hear those ridiculous 100, 200% returns, I'm thinking like on the big players, like it's it's fair enough if they're on IPOs and stuff, that's understandable. But the likes of Kimmich been up whatever, over 200%. Was it Kimmich or was it Cruz you said? Both over of them. 200%. No, yeah. Kimmich was over 400%. Over 400%. Like that's fucking ludicrous. What I wonder is in my head, I'm thinking like it's that again, missed the boat thing. Like we're here now, we're trading, that's great. But are we likely to see increases like that again? Maybe we're in the midst of it without realizing, or maybe it won't happen again that much. Yeah. Do you know? Like, yeah. I mean, I should say on Kimmich, there was a bit of mitigating uh, circumstances in the fact that his match day scores were quite disappointing at the end of 2017. So I think his prize was quite low at the beginning of 2018. And then he went on to show what he could do. Um, but yeah, in terms of the miss the boat thing, well, I think it's interesting because at the bottom end of the market, I think we've seen since. The, when when was the share split? It was March or April, wasn't it? March, April. Yeah, yeah, end of March, I think. Um, so in the last six, seven months, we've seen the bottom of the markets. A lot of those prices are st- starting to be similar to where they were then. Mm. Um, or they're getting there anyway. So that there we've seen ridiculous percentage increases, but we haven't really seen it at the top of the market as much. Um, no, at couple- all. Like, I mean... Sorry, I, I just completely cut in. I was going to say the only people who've, like, the peak's probably been just over eight quid with Pogba and Neymar. Yeah. And that's, 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 they were, I think they were on the day after the share split, I think Neymar was about £8.50. Maybe even higher, maybe eight seventy. So they, they have, they haven't seen any real capital appreciation then. I think there's kind of two, two main reasons behind it. Um, the first is that I don't think there's been someone who's sat up and said, I, I should be the clear king of the index, so to speak. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been a youngish player who's been winning regular dividends that that people expect to continue to do so for a long period of time. Those are kind of the factors I think you need to be to be that. I think, yeah, I think there's Neymar top at the moment, Sancho close. Uh, I think if Sancho starts to win regular dividends, he could maybe be that man, but we haven't seen that, so to speak, yet. Um, but the other factor is it just requires so much money now for those players at the top of the market to to see to see those high percentage returns. It yeah, requires, the nine hundred shares changes it significantly. Yeah, like to get Madison from two pounds to four pounds requires far less money to get than getting Neymar from. £7.50 to £15. Yeah. I think the thing is as well, the reason maybe the top hasn't went insane is that Neymar and Pogba have had such uncertainty about their futures and their potential to win the dividend. So people have been hanging back. Yeah, the likes of Sterling um, and who else? Sterling and Bap and Neymar have all risen quite significantly in the last three months. But I think it's one of the. It's almost like a mental block. The ceiling of the market. Like, I I'd find it hard to believe that one player, unless they, unless Sancho went to United and they won the treble and he's in the media and he's their top scorer, like he's not gonna go sit out ahead of the pack at twelve or fifteen quid 
when the next guy's at 750, they kind of all need to move up together. Does that make sense? Or I don't yeah. think you're going to have one outlier that far ahead of everyone else um, because um, of people's maybe perceived va- value of that. Like if some, if you see Sancho today at a tenner and Neymar seven quid, you're going to look at that and be like, Jesus fucking Christ, a tenner. Yeah. Am I wrong? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all relative pricing. So, I mean, yeah, we always saw that kind of historically with Neymar and Messi. Now that Messi's perceived as older, he hasn't kind of tracked Neymar's price as much, but it kind of always seemed to be if one increased, the other caught up, and then the other one would slow down until one caught up, and then they'd go up together. It's quite nice to see their price graph side by side. Yeah, that is something. Yeah, maybe it takes, you know, a couple of those of the new breed to go out and set the precedent for higher prices that we haven't seen before before we see it yeah but look we'll find out as time goes on i'd say we, we wrap it up there um do you want to just maybe one more time tell everyone where they can find you on edge itself or maybe any i don't know if you've any promos at the minute or ways to join uh yes yeah, so thank you uh, yeah so you i'm always up for a chat on twitter my handles at fi analysis is, is is just me and you can also see uh football index edge the handles at football index ed i'm happy to message on either of there uh and in terms of the website it's footballindexedge.com and at the moment there's a free 14 day trial if you want to just go and have a look around at players data you can cancel at any time and you'll still get to the end of the trial so it might be a good way to just uh check up on all your players and then if 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 you don't want to continue it you don't don't have to zero commitment perfect well look we'll wrap it up there and now in the podcast we're going to go on to trading bear for the risers and fallers of the week and the his prospect player um so yeah thanks joel talk again soon thank you Trading bear, hey! I'm back, I'm back. I'm disappointed He's though, Irish. Disappointed. I was hoping the ice cream man would sing me in this week. Yeah, do you know what's funny? And for people listening, they'll be hearing this after the podcast that I recorded earlier with Joel from Football Index Edge. You won't have heard it, but the ice cream man made an appearance. He made a fucking appearance. Like, that's show. two out of the last three weeks. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He, uh, I was just saying, like, he's off his fucking game. It's re- it was raining. I was literally looking out the window at the rain thumping off the turf, and this man's rocking around in his ice cream van. I'm pretty sure he's money laundering or something. But anyway, <laughs> maybe he's off football index. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no ice creams I, in that van. <laughs> just just playing laptops and he's watching all the Bundesliga <laughs> matches. Just fucking getting kids hooked, sending them up for fifty quid like <laughs> deposit bonuses. Anyway, um, I had to sing a sin again this week because. Football index manager bailed on us last minute. Boo. This is where Yes, yeah, actually I was about to say this is where everyone should boo. <laughs> yeah, he uh no God love him, he forgot he said he'd do it, but um he's gonna do it for us next week. But uh as many of you can go over and send him abuse on Twitter, uh try and get him sent off, report him if you can. Just really make his life hell for the week. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> We're gonna do the top risers and fathers again, followed by a prospect player. It's uh it's yeah. We'll get into the prospect player afterwards. We'll do the top five risers, top bottom five fallers, and we were thinking this week. Well, you were thinking, and I think it's a good idea. 
as along with talking about people, we'll, we'll give them a, a rating out of five. Yeah, just to give uh, the listeners a bit more of, of a scale of my opinion on the player, yeah, because I can say yes or no, and that's all right, but some some of my yeses and some of my noes will be stronger than others. So, yeah, we're doing a, a scale of five stars, five being um, a definite buy or definite hold, and one star being I wouldn't even touch him. Three is kind of average, is it? Depending yeah, on three is a yes, no. Yeah, three is a yes, no. Okay, so we'll go for the biggest riser of the week. In the last seven days, we're recording on Sunday evening. Uh, 34% rise, 41 pence. Is Luis Alberto to his uh, price of 160? Yeah, I, I think he is a buy. In fact, I think he scored today. Um, just He did. He did. He did. Yeah, it's a one all, wasn't it, against Roma? That's your Roma, and he scored the equaliser. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I think he is a good value at that price. I wouldn't say he's a 5 out of 5, um, but I think him a 4 out of 5. Uh, certainly got an eye for goal, as you already proved. Uh, Lazio, I think they'll do better this season than they did last season. And I think if you are looking at them, then he's very much a standout player. He's playing alongside uh, Milankovic, Savic, who's linked with United all summer long, but he's staying there at Lazio. But Alberto is the pick for me. Yeah, 160? Yeah, four out of five stars. Yeah, he scored around 200 again today as well, which in a draw and... I suppose he, he didn't even get a game-winning goal. Yeah, no. That's a high score, do I agree? He's a high, high baseline player, so yeah, no. Good player, though. Yeah. Uh, Tammy Abraham is up 27% by 67 pence. He's actually the biggest riser by pence um, of the week to 312. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of Abraham. I really don't. And as a player, every time I watch him, I think, he's not signed for Chelsea. He's, he's, he's really not that good. Yeah, then he goes and scores a goal. I mean, it's uh, two years ago, three years ago now for Bristol City, he scored 20 plus. Uh, and then obviously last season on load to Villa, he scored the goals that got them through into the playoffs and ultimately playoff final victory. And this year he started off the same again. He's got his chance. He's uh, got his uh, goals against us in Norwich and he's followed up with a brace this weekend against Sheffield United. He, he certainly now proved it, that he can do it against the, the championship teams. Uh, forgive me, Norwich and Sheffield United fam, um, fans, but the, the championship or lower end premiership teams. Can he now do it against the best best of the best? Well, time will tell. Um, I think he's overheated, um, definitely on the on the back of those four goals against the easier fixtures. It's a no for me. Um, not a one out of five, but a close to one and a half out of five, I go for him on current price. Did he get a call up to England? Uh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Yeah, so I, I mean, this is just me spitballing. I haven't looked into it too much. I agree with you. I think his price. I could just see that it looks perfect to just tail back to like two eighty seven or something in the next week or two. It just looks like people will get a bit bored of it over the international break, get a bit itchy, and then maybe if he blanks next next Chelsea game, maybe he'll drop a bit. That might be a better time to enter if you want to, but. Again, you could miss the boat completely if he goes and scores another brace. Um, third biggest riser, 26%, Joseph Bracalo to 144. He's up 30 Yeah, pence. he was actually, if we recorded this last Sunday, um, he was actually going to be my prospect player for this week. Uh, and he went and scored a, a great goal on Saturday. Um, oh, nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Wolfsburg <laughs> had a, as an easy fixture yesterday. They finished 1-0. Uh, they were home to Paderborn. And Weghorst provided the assist. And on the edge of the box, Brecolo on the half volley, just Chris right into the corner. It was a great goal. I recommend you can try and find it if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But he's a young talent. Uh, I think he's 21, 22 years old. Uh, Croatian. 
a little bit of personality about them as well, so that should he move to the EPL uh, one day, that that would help with his MB game. Sadly, though, he has risen 20-30p in the past week, uh, and he would need a, a fair amount to sustain that. One thing in Wolfsburg's favour, though, is they do have a single game day after the internationals. So the Friday after this week, uh, Wolfsburg have that Friday night fixture, uh, and he certainly looks a talent. So he's a, he's a three out of five stars for me. I, th- I think his rise has happened, but I, I do think he's a promising player. So three out of five for me. Connor Gallagher is up 24% by 25 pence to 129. Uh, yes, the on loan Charlton midfielder. I'll talk about him more in a minute. Oh, okay. And <laughs> nice, nice. I know. <laughs> Danielle Malin is up uh, 23 pence to 132 by 21%. Yeah, the, the young PSV striker, isn't he? <laughs> another, another player another player like Tammy Abraham. I watched him last season, actually. I was first made aware of him by someone else last season. And he was 55p, I think, at the time. I bought him then, and he got a rise. He got a goal. And I sold him for 75p. He's a striker. When I first watched him, I watched the match. He struck me like as an Andy Carroll player. He doesn't play in the same way or or it doesn't even resemble him physically either. But he's quite tall, about six foot. But I just watched the game and I thought, oh, no, he's not, he's not a talent. He's not a youth player that I want to be buying into. So I sold him for 75p. <laughs> he's now had a great start to the season and, and his rise is continuing. PSV obviously going to thump teams 3-4-0 in the... In the Hero Division. They've got the, the Europa, Europa draw. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember their group, so I'm just going to look it up now. Um, so what price was he at? Sorry, while I searched the draw. He is now sitting at 132. 132. It, it, it's probably just a little bit more than I, I would be comfortable with him. I've just found the draw. He's with Rosenberg, Sporting and LASK. Um, must admit, I'm not too familiar with that last team, but oh. uh, n- not too bad a draw. Um, for the PSV certainly uh, and if they get the run get continue to, to run through the lap stages I, I think he could provide value so he's a 3 out of 5 star to me it's a 3 out of 5 ok well there's our two top 5 biggest risers we'll go into the top 5 biggest fallers um, Americ Laporte is down 19 pence to 148 that's 11% yeah we all the know why that is yeah picked yeah. up the injury the other day in the, in the in their thrashing of Brighton. Um, he's a tough one. I personally don't like holding defenders. If you're a long-term portfolio, then he is quite a good player and he might um, profit from the injury buyback where you, you buy a player when they get injured and people buy back into them as they get fitter and fitter. For me, though, it, it's it's not where I'd want my money. So it's a two out of five for me. Pietro Pellegri is down... Nine percent to one thirty-one. That's thirteen pence. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, this is to do with um, Monaco, isn't it? It's Monaco. I really... think it's because he's returning from injury, and I think his price boomed based on the return from injury, and he's been benched. And I think it, the market might just be correcting a little bit. That would be my speculation around that one. Yeah, I mean, he was he was um, hailed as a wonder kid, wasn't he? Two years ago, when he was sixteen, and he first burst onto the scene. Um, for Genoa before moving to Monaco. He's he's never really lived up to it. Um, he seems to be a little bit injury prone. I mean, he's only 18, so it's unfair to label it at this stage. But as you said, he's on the bench. He's uh, now Slomani scored two more again for Monaco today. Benyedda's now obviously there from Seville. 
so he, he faces stiff competition to get in. Although he does have that that factor of people know who he is and should he score a goal, then he'll quickly bounce back up again. So mm. he's a two out of five, but he could quickly transform. What I've just realised is like an idiot. Last week we just did risers and this week we're doing half and half, mm. which makes it a bit harder for you to kind of recommend buying people for the latter no, few because... No, no I, I actually quite like it, to be honest. It, it gives the... It gives gives myself and certainly self as well an opportunity to discuss why they're falling and whether that's a um, mm. a right fall or not, or whether you can pick up that player on the cheap. So no, I, I actually quite like this this part of it as well. Well, one that might interest you. I don't know if he does. I couldn't find any real reason why he may have dropped so much. Um, but Karim Demir Bay is up to one. Down to one thirty nine, yeah, thirteen pence. I from looking at it, I, I thought that might have just been because he hasn't really kicked on like people expected. There was a lot of hype about him with the matrix change, I think, and then he hasn't had any big, big scores in the last couple of weeks, and he's been subbed off twice. In the last game, he was subbed off after about sixty minutes. Yeah, I, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. The fact he's been subbed off um, early, certainly pre season, he got a lot of um, backing due to the. New, new matrix and if you're on index gain he he suffered or he did suffer he uh benefited from a, a plus 20 plus 30 rise uh, on last season's scores for his pb scores based on the on the on the model but sadly as he has been subbed early in the leverkusen the leverkusen's form it's been a little bit iffy i mean they had their first two wins wins against paderborn three two at home and then three one away to dusseldorf had a disappointing draw yesterday at nil nil at home to Hoffenheim. I actually watched that match and Leverkusen were all over and did everything but score. He is though unfortunately facing competition alongside the likes of Havertz and Bellarabi and uh, Bailey, the Jamaican winger. So he's just suffering a little bit of too many cooks spoil the spoil the pot. Um, really, mm. his PB scores, as you touched upon, because he's been subbed early. Uh, he's hit scores of 99, 111, and 151 this season. So not terrible, um, but because he hasn't been anywhere close to winning, he's been dumped. Would you buy him? Would I buy him? Um, to be honest, at £1.39, I, I don't think he's a terrible buy. Um, I personally wouldn't because yeah. I hold habits. Um, but Leverkusen and in the Champions League, they've got a nice few fixtures coming up. Uh, they've got a Dortmund away, but after that, they're, they're at home to Moscow, Lokomotiv Moscow in the Champions League, and then at home to Union Berlin, then away to Augsburg. So a couple of really nice fixtures after that Dortmund away fixture. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's not terrible, but I'd give him three out of five stars. Morgan Gibbs-White is down by the same, uh, well, 8.48%, 14 pence to one fifty one. I'd put that down to being benched for both the Europa League and the Premiership this week. You'd think whenever you have games like that, that, that that's when players like him will get their chance with the rotation, but he didn't. Yeah, it seemed uh, slightly strange that he didn't get his opportunity in the UEFA, uh, the Europa League. Uh, although I suppose it was a key match at home to Torino, they only had the one goal advantage, so he didn't want to, uh, the manager mm-hmm. didn't want to risk anything. He did actually play in the previous uh, rounds against Punic, in which Wolves won 4-0 and he, and he scored that day as well, along with uh, Diego Jota, uh, Nito, the other young striker for Wolves. But certainly he's, he's not a first-teamer. He's not a, a, in the starting eleven. He's on the bench. He had his huge rise last season when he first came to view. This young English midfielder got his match-of-the-day hype. And I think his price is now just starting to correct for that, really. It, it's uh, I would buy him 
eight to two out of five for me. Two out of five. And our last faller that we'll do is Pablo Sarabia, who is down to a price of 147, which is 13 pence and 8%. I'll go tell you what I think of him just quickly. Uh, his last PB for his last two performances, they were both 90 minutes. He scored 107 and he scored 70. He's had no goal involvement. He was called up to Spain, which is a positive, I suppose. But I think the big one for me here is probably the fact that Neymar has decided to stay. Yeah, um, yeah I, I was going to give you one word um, just before you nipped in there, and I was literally going to say Neymar. It's yeah. uh, on, the, on the news that Neymar, uh, two days ago, looked like being joining Barcelona. I was interested in him. I looked at his price, and I actually hovered over the buy button before the match away to Nets on last Friday night. All of a sudden, it looks like Neymar staying again. I mean, uh, uh, what's going to happen there? No one knows. 30 minutes, he's moving. 30 minutes, he's staying. If he does go, the window obviously shuts tomorrow for all the major leagues. That's Monday, 5 p.m. If he does go, then Sarabia, I'll look into him again. If Neymar does stay, then no, he's, he's just not a buy. Uh, so for that reason, he's a four out of five stars if Neymar does go. If Neymar doesn't go, if Neymar stays at PSG, then he's a one out of five. Very good. We'll move on to the prospect player. And just before we go on quickly, I'd say we'll touch quickly on the the previous two. So the first one was Luis Muriel, who, if people had got in, in and around whenever he was put out there, he's currently up 30%, but at his peak, he was up more than that. Um, he's actually dropped a little bit there today because he wasn't announced in the starting lineup. But sure, he wasn't last week and he scored two in a game-winning goal. So he was up at a high of 96p, um, which would have been about a 35% return from whenever you mentioned him. And yeah, then, I, I did put my Twitter uh, midweek, the quotes from the, from the Atlanta manager saying that he would be sharing game time with uh, Zapata. So it wasn't a total surprise that uh, he wasn't uh, named in the starting lineup for tonight's match at home to Torino. And indeed, Zapata is up front alongside Ilicic uh, ahead of the Alejandro Gomez. So, yeah, it's not a great surprise. I, I do think there's a lot of rotation between himself and uh, Zapata all season. Yeah. Well, look, um, people should have made a bit of profit anyway if they did listen. Yeah. Uh, the second one was last week was Stefano Sensei, who had a cracking game last week and made it to a peak of, what, 171? I suppose if people had bought when they were told, it would have been about 142. So that would have been a very significant, again, another 20 or 30% rise. And, and also, he was very unlucky not to not to go higher than that. Uh, the fact that he scored three minutes after Brozic, I mean, Brozic hardly scored a goal last season. Had Sensei scored mm-hmm. three minutes earlier, he, he would have been even higher. So he looks a, a good player, Sensei. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does tonight. He'll be kicking off there very shortly. Um, but anyway... Enough of past and praising your unbelievable record. I put out on Twitter this week that I think you have a crystal ball. Not to big you up too much. I'm but, say, yeah, yeah, just hold off that. Only two no weeks. pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this week's prospect player? So, um, due to the internationals, I've gone for a more long-term prospect player this week. And he goes by the name of Connor Gallagher. So, the player that you touched upon there in the riser section and that I said I'd talk more about. Well, here we go. For those that don't know, he's a six-foot central midfielder. He's a box-to-box player who can do a bit of everything. He's very much in the shape of the Steven Gerrard in terms of the role that he likes to play on the pitch, although it's Frank Lampard he's been compared to most due to his early season habit of, of making these late runs into the box, 
which has seen them score three and six already this season for a Charlton side that currently sits second uh, in the automatic promotion places in the championship alongside Leeds and Swansea this year. Another reason he's compared to Lampard is due to the fact, uh, he's only 19 by the way, uh, due to the fact the 19 year old is actually on loan to Charlton from Lampard's club, Chelsea. He was named Academy Player of the Year last year at Stamford Bridge and will likely have the lazy media link comparisons with Mason Mount, who's obviously having a great season this year for Chelsea's first team. Uh, and should he and Charlton continue their form this season, um, I think the likes of uh, Gallagher could perform really well. Certainly Mount and Wilson have shown a market appetite for these type of players performing well in the Championship and, and Madison as well, the year before him with Norwich. So yeah, this week's prospect player is Charlton's on-loan midfielder, Connor Gallagher. And sorry, just before you get too excited, Irish, his first name may be Connor, but he's English and not Irish. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I lit- you know, you literally read my mind whenever... Uh... I was reading through the biggest price raisers that we can see it. I was like, yeah, I've heard of him. Is he Irish? Connor Gallery must be. Yes, it was a great, you know, the young Irish lad doing well. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> he was actually in the under 16, uh, not under 16, sorry, the under 17 World Cup squad that England won um, a couple of years ago. Uh, it didn't uh, start the game, but he came off the bench uh, in the game they won 5 2 against Spain. And just to read off some of the names in that under 17 starting 11 Brewster, Phil Foden, Callum Hudson Adoy uh, and Panto Manto, the, the fullback at Monaco, the young Panto. Yeah. So he's alongside very good company. Absolutely. Um, well, there we go. There's our there's our prospect player for this week. Thanks very much for joining us, Straden Bear. Is there anyone right. else you'd like to add for the week before we head off? Uh, no, not from my end. That's absolutely fine. No. All right. Look, thanks again. We, we'll see you next week, hopefully, if you're about, uh, for football managers fun intro <laughs> well i look forward to hearing either his intro or the ice cream man's intro like if you can get one of those <laughs> I'll, I'll be looking forward to it. i might actually run out to the ice cream van and get him like get a wee like get him to do it someday but we leave it we'll let, we'll let it build and become a real trend and whenever like celebrities and all their tweet me about it then then maybe we'll get the ice cream man involved he's going to be like the infamous superstar of the show maybe if we can get like a hundred retweets or, or you put the pressure on him to get hundred <laughs> retweets we bring on the ice cream <laughs> It could go like, I don't know if you can even do it, like Twitter Live and have me going out to buy an ice cream and get them to sing it. But anyway, <laughs> we're going off on a tangent. Um, we'll chat to you next week. Super, super. See you later. All right. Cheers. Bye bye.